are you misusing God's law in this way at all? We have to admit sometimes we do this, don't we? Maybe you say, well, God has given me this sexual identity, and since he has, then I must pursue this identity, even if it means violating scriptures. Or you say, this, this, is, uh, this is actually setting up the tradition of man over the law of God. Or, or you say, God wants me to provide for my family, to provide all the things I think they need. So I must work 80 hours a week and neglect the spiritual formation of my family in order to obey this law. Or God wants me to honor my parents who are paying for my, you know, for my schooling here at OSU. And it would not honor them to flunk this test. I haven't had time to study because I'm doing all these other things. So I, I, having this cheat sheet is actually honoring to God. When, when we do all of this, we, we fool ourselves into thinking we're okay with God because we keep the traditions of men. But all the while, our heart may be far from him. We say what the Pharisees and scribes say, they are okay because they keep the outside clean. But all the while, inside is dirty. Mark tells us that Jesus came to turn all that hypocrisy on its head. He came with an answer. He didn't just come with condemnation. He came to turn things outside in. He came to repudiate legalism. And Jesus' repudiation of legalism, we see in, in verses 14 through 23, Jesus launches into a teaching on a, what it really means to be in a relationship with God. Where do we get our identity from? Where, where does being right with God start if it doesn't start with keeping the traditions and the laws? Jesus first teaches the crowd about this. Do you remember who the crowd is in the book of Mark? They're distinct people. They're, they're well, they're the Amharets. They're the, the common people. They're the poor people. And there was a lot of them. And they're looking for a, a new ruler. And, 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 and Jesus interacts with them a lot. They're, they're not overtly hostile to Jesus at this point. They're fascinated with him. Amazed by him. They want to be fed by him. And most of them neither have true faith or hostility toward him. They're common people. And they're following Jesus. Some of them for what they can get. And, and some because they're truly interested. Verses 14 and 15, Mark writes, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you. And understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus gets to the crux of the matter here, doesn't he? He says that no one is defiled by anything outside of him. That the defilement is the opposite of holy or separate to God. Because of, because of things outside. Nothing from the outside going into him can defile a person. No one is common or ordinary or unclean because of something on the outside. What, def, 
what defiles is a matter of what is on the inside. And the, the crowd, the crowd would have, uh, would have known this, would have, would have felt this. The, they were the common and unclean people. And, and, and it, was the, it was the religious people that were heaping rules upon rules upon them, the burden of the law upon them. And in many ways, they couldn't keep it. He explains to the crowd, but that's enough for the crowd. Quickly, he moves to his disciples. Jesus invites his disciples into the house in verse 17. And he says, And and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him. Why is that? Since it enters into since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This matter of being uncleaned before God is, Jesus is taking it to a new level. He's saying it doesn't have to do with outside of you. It doesn't have to do with foods and drink, or anything else outside. It has to do with your heart. A relationship, with, being right with God means having a relationship with Him. This was not the, you know, it, it was also though like Jesus expected the disciples to understand this. Did you pick up on that? This was not the first or last time that they didn't understand something Jesus was teaching. Jesus tells them, Do you, are you also without understanding? None of them understood about the bread when, when Jesus uh, did that miracle. It says that their hearts were hardened in chapter 6. Peter, in the near future, will rebuke Jesus for talking about going to the cross. He doesn't understand that this was the whole point that Jesus why Jesus came, and Peter rebukes him and says, no, God, you can't do, Jesus, you can't do this. You're going to be our king. And, and do you remember what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. And Peter, in Acts chapter 10, even after all of this, after all he had seen and, and, and done with Jesus, in Acts chapter 10, Jesus says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says the most ironic statement ever, not so, Lord. Who tells their Lord not so? Peter does. And Jesus is teaching, he's making three fine points. Even though the disciples don't fully understand, and and the crowd doesn't understand, and certainly the religious people don't understand. He's telling them three things. He makes purity primarily an inward thing. He declares all foods clean, and he declares the complete sinfulness of man. So first, moral purity is an inward, not outward. Four times Jesus declares it. Did you notice the repetition? Jesus declares four times that man's problem is in his heart. Once to the crowd, and then three times to his disciples. 
in the house. And biblically, the heart is the place where the mind, the will, the emotions, they all, they all meet as sort of the center of man. This is a place where we make decisions. And as Jesus says, it's where all the evil comes from. Jesus is saying that our utter sinfulness, our, our, our complete sinfulness is not primarily based on what we do, but who we are. From birth, we are sinners. We are connected to Adam, our first parents who sinned against God. And we sin not because, we're sinners not because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners at our core. How can you change the inside of a person? How can you make evil thoughts go away? It's easier to have ritual laws to clean up the outside, isn't it, than it is to clean up the heart, the thought patterns. The reason it's so hard is because what we do is based on who we are. And we might be able to clean up on the outside for a little while, but the inside of us the inside of people is the real problem. And it is as much a part of us as our DNA. He declares to them, this is an inward problem. And, and actually, that's not, to, that's not to make them feel better. That's to make them feel the weight that their religion, even obeying the law of Moses, is not going to make them clean. Their problem is way worse than they imagine. And so is ours. But he also declares that all foods are clean. Jesus is saying something about the ritual laws. One commentator says this. Mark seldom steps onto the stage as an actor in his drama. On the rare occasions he does, like chapter 3, verse 30, we need to pay attention. When he does, he, he is, his interpretation should be accorded special significance. When, when Mark wrote this, his gospel... Questions related to kosher foods and dietary regulations were prominent in the minds of converts to Christianity, particularly from paganism. And less than a decade earlier, most people think that Paul had also addressed the questions of the clean and unclean foods uh, to the church at Rome. And remember, we talked about this in Romans 14 and 15. But all of this, all of this, Mark is making interpretation. When Jesus says, nothing going into you can defile you because it doesn't go into your heart, it goes into your stomach and then becomes waste. Jesus is saying, it's actually what is in the heart. And, he, and Mark is saying, Jesus has just declared all foods clean. This is a declaration takes precedence over the dietary restrictions of both the oral and the written tradition. Jesus is saying something not just about foods. He's saying something about himself. He has come to fulfill the law. Jesus is assuming the role of God, right? He's, he teaches supremely, authoritatively, even over the Torah itself, and so takes the role of God. The law, the law itself wasn't bad, but it had served its purpose. The Messiah had come. He was here. He fulfilled it. And, and all of its meaning was bound up in him. And Jesus is saying, he's actually saying, you no longer need to observe these. Purity is inward. 
all foods are clean, and meaning I'm the Messiah, and I, I, I'm declaring this thing. And then lastly, he declares man's utter sinfulness, his all-encompassing sinfulness, his total depravity. Jesus does not give a comprehensive list of sins, nor does he say that every person commits every one of these sins over here that he mentions. That's not what he's saying. But that from our hearts come sins of thought, word, and deed. In, in, in the list, you can, you can see there's, there's acts of wickedness, especially sexual acts of wickedness, but also theft and murder and, and the like. There are acts of wickedness that come out of our heart, Jesus is saying, and then that we commit. And the second part of the list, the last six things, are, 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 um, are, are sinful attitudes. Did you, did you notice them? In verse uh, 22, coveting wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things aren't things you do, but things that we think, things that we, think, things that we, we have in our hearts. They're attitudes. And the tradition of the elders could not address these kinds of sins. These sins make us condemned before God. So what's our hope? How could they escape the wrath to come if their traditions won't save them? What will give them balance and keep their position as fiddler on the roof? What would give them identity? How could they be right with God? How can you be right with God? Was it tradition? No. It was the one who spoke with them. He was the way they could be right with God. It was the one who was feeding them, healing them, teaching them. The one who lived a, a perfect life of righteousness before them and in their place. He was the only truly pure one, the righteous one. Friend, there's no cleaning yourself up. There's no life that you can live, no tear that you can cry, no death that you can die that will make you right with God. Jesus Christ is the only one that can provide a perfect life for you. Jesus lived it. The question is, will you receive his gift as he's calling to you now? How do we receive this? Well, David tells us in Psalm 51. Do you remember? It's the, it's the psalm of his confession after Nathan confronts his sin with Bathsheba and says, you're the man. He confesses and writes it down. And in 51.10, he says, he says and tells us how we receive this. In his prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. It's God who has to do this in you. Do you hear him calling now? Receive it as a gift. God, create a clean heart in me. Renew a right spirit within me. I've been trying to clean myself up through tradition or through these other things, and it's, it's not enough. I can't do it myself. Only God can do it. 
If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you afterwards or any of the elders that are here, Davey, or a friend that brought you that knows the gospel. They would be happy to talk to you about these things. Friend, you, you can't clean yourself up, but Jesus lived a perfect life and died in your place, and he rose again so that you might have eternal life. And what he calls you to is, is repentance and faith. Just put your, all of your hope in him. Turn from what you've been hoping for and place, placing your trust in and hope in him alone. Christian friend, how will we make sure our hearts are right with God? We may be tempted to answer by doing this or that or keeping this or that tradition. However, if we follow Jesus, we follow his way of life and teaching, our only measure is his word. When the Pharisee says, why don't you keep the tradition of the elders? How does Jesus respond? With the word. He responds and, and, and tells them and, and gives us the way that we should be responding to. How we should measure our own righteousness. How do we know if we're right with God? Psalm 119.9, how will a young man cleanse his way? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word is the only measure of our righteousness with God. We have no other measuring stick. How do I know I'm right with God? I keep the traditions of the elders. I attend church. I give tithe. I sing with all my heart. I give alms to the poor. I volunteer. Friends, all of those things are good and things that Christians do. But what Jesus is saying, it doesn't give you identity or acceptance with God. Only Jesus can do that. Only his righteous life. Christian, live that. Re remember, let the word remind you, the, the, the words of the gospel remind you every time that you're tempted to clean yourself up before you pray. My righteousness is in Christ alone. Every time you're tempted to clean yourself up before you come into this place and worship God, my righteousness is in Christ alone. Every time you're tempted to do a work in order to earn favor with God, remember God loves me in Jesus Christ and he really loves me. And friend, if you don't know him, he can be yours too. His righteousness will be accounted to you too. Make him your only hope in life and death. Now we're going to transition to the Lord's table. The Lord's table is actually the place that we're reminded that our only hope is in life. It's, the, it's, the one, it's one of the visuals that we have to represent the gospel. It's the one drama we do in church. It's a, it's a, it's a visual display of the gospel. And because it's a visual display of the gospel, we believe as a church that it's only for Christians. Christians are proclaiming this. Only Christians can remember this because only Christians have put their hope in Christ alone. And so we ask if you're not a Christian to, to not partake. And that's okay we, because we don't think it gives you any saving grace at all. 
And, and we just, as, as our church, one of the distinctions of our, our church is that we are a Baptist church. And so we believe that the first um, act of our discipleship, the first obedience of our discipleship is to be baptized. And so if, if you're not baptized, uh, we think you, you're probably still a Christian, We're, but we would ask you to think about what it means to follow Jesus because he's commanded believers to be baptized and follow him that way. But we just ask that you, you don't partake of it. But this meal is to, com- it, it's, it's to unify us, brothers and sisters. It's to make us one in Christ. It's, it's meant to, to in, in a spiritual way, feed us, to remember and spiritually feed us so, so that we are not only unified, but uh, our hope is in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that because, it's th- because it is this, that we should examine ourselves. So I'm going to pray a prayer of confession and then I'm going to give us a time of silence per, for personal confession. And then I'll end that with an assurance of pardon. And this is a time to, maybe this is the first time in your week that you've had silence. And you've had a chance to think about how you've lived this week. And you can freely confess to God. He knows it already. He wants you to come to him. And confess before him your sins. So confess them biblically and honestly. And and confess them hopefully because you know that Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins. So I'll pray, time of silence, assurance of pardon, and then we'll sing. Father, we come to you really no better than the Pharisees and the scribes. God, we, we come to you having tried to live apart from you this week. Lord, forgive us for thinking our righteousness can produce any acceptance or identity that you, that, that you receive. Father, we confess that we have not been slow to anger, We've been quick to anger instead this week. Forgive us. We have been people that have quickly judged other people and motives. And you tell us that you have received all the condemnation that we should welcome people. Forgive us, oh God. Father, and many other things we do and sins we commit that we bring before you, knowing that you hear them, And as we confess them, you forgive them. You said you're faithful and just to do it. So we look to you now as we confess all of our sins on Jesus Christ. Take a moment of silence.